0: Welcome to Alchemy My name is Dennis William Hauk, and together we will explore the ancient mysteries of alchemy. Do you know the answer to this ancient riddle? The key to life and death is everywhere to be found, but if you do not find it in your own house, you will find it nowhere. Yet it is before everyone's eyes. No one can live without it. Everybody uses it. The poor usually possess more of it than the rich. Children play with it in the streets. The uneducated esteem it highly, but the learned often throw it away. It is a living substance that is concentrated in nature's cavities, sacred cups, and parts of the human body. It is the only thing from which the philosopher's stone can be prepared, and without it, no noble metal can ever be created. The true nature of the first matter was one of the greatest and most deeply guarded secrets of the alchemists. And I hope that by the time this tape is over, we will realize uh, together a deeper appreciation of the first matter, what it means, and how you work with it. Because the first matter is the subject and result of the great work of alchemy. To accumulate the first matter, to transform it, and to enable it, empower it, is the goal of the alchemist. There are hundreds of synonyms, and I won't bore you with listing them, of what the first matter was but and to simplify and to understand what we're talking about you can only see the first matter this invisible dark matter of the universe in meditation you can only confront the first matter when you are in the twilight zone between the above and the below between created matter and the projected divine mind that creates all things so we're suspended between the above and below in our everyday lives, on the physical level, on the mental level, we work with thoughts and emotions and all of the problems that arise from having them control our destiny, having them control our lives, and having them interfere with our true selves, the expression of our true selves. And we work with the spiritual. And it is in the spiritual that the first matter at, in the early phase and in the last phases becomes most accessible to us. We all know that the alchemists worked in a laboratory. But there are important differences between the laboratory of the alchemist and what we normally think of as a laboratory. Certainly, the laboratory of a chemist, a modern-day chemist, is only distantly related to the alchemical laboratory. For the alchemist, the laboratory was a sacred spot. No one was allowed in the laboratory to observe experiments unless perhaps it was the Sora Mystica, his, his wife or a female companion, which was a necessary part of alchemical transformation whether that part was within him, or whether it was an actual person. Furthermore, the laboratory of the alchemist existed on all three of these planes we've been talking about. The physical plane, in other words, there were beakers and chemicals and uh, fire and furnaces. And on the mental plane, he worked with thoughts and feelings. And the spiritual plane, he entered a spiritual laboratory within. The work in the spiritual laboratory was really the key to to alchemy and what made it different from the chemist's laboratory. The alchemists attempted to use spiritual energies to change everyday events, everyday expressions of matter, everyday organizations of atoms, if you will, to actually change matter because of the process of the divine projecting into the material world. In other words, the divine spark that created the world as we know it and that that world could be easily changed if you knew the principles and can access the spiritual energies to transform them. The spiritual realm was no great hidden place for the alchemist. It wasn't separate uh, from his everyday reality. He entered it and he carried it with him. For all three laboratories of the alchemist existed within him too. The physical laboratory was his own body. The mental laboratory was in his brain. And the spiritual laboratory was in his heart. The work in the inner laboratory began every day with the same process, like putting on a lab coat and walking into the lab to begin your work. And we're going to do that now. We're going to do the actual processes, the actual um, steps that the alchemist took to reach the inner laboratory. And this is from many, many different writings that date all the way back to Egypt. The process is to become separated from the world as we know it. The first step is to enter... The internal world, as above, so below. Within you is the whole universe waiting to be expressed, and you can work inside you in a controllable place, without the interference of the already created world of people's ideas and what should be and what shouldn't be, of simply what the alchemists called salt—the already created and manifested things that other people have created. You could get beyond that world quite easily by simply stepping into your own body and going inside. The tools that the Alchemist used was working with intention and working with attention. Most of our lives we spend in forebrain area, uh, covered in thoughts, let's put it that way, driven by thoughts, driven by striving, driven by wanting to change, never satisfied with the world, driven by pressures from family and friends and bosses and military and the government and the whole world shapes us. But inside, they can't touch us. There's a safe place in every one of us. We've all been there in times of stress. We've all been there in times of need. This is how it works all our attention is focused in the forebrain because we're a thinking society. Really, this isn't true in all societies, but in the modern world, we live in that little four inch square area in the front of our brain. It's where we put our attention inside our body into thinking functions. If you don't think this is true, just just look around you for a while and feel where you're coming from in your body. Feel where your presence is at and how you project into the world. You're coming through your face. You're coming through the front of your brain. Just stare in the distance now and relax your eyes. Relax your eyes just to see. Just let them see for once. Don't have any thoughts behind it. Don't project a judgment. Don't project an image. Just see what's there. You can feel a change. You can feel it become almost three-dimensional. The world around you, your view of the world, becomes real when you let go of your own projections into reality. Most of us see the world as almost a two-dimensional plane. It's in front of us. We confront what's in front of us. We move forward. We strive. We change. We come from our foreheads with thoughts and plans, goals and morals, behavior patterns. That we project into the world stop projecting it stop for a moment relax relax your eyes relax your brain don't think look out into the world around you wherever you're at on your outside inside look ahead of you and see how the world changes if you just relax your eyes and stop using them as weapons soften your eyes and look into the world look into the world ahead of you it changes finally you can see in 3d You can see what the world is. It has depth. It's not just that flat interface you've created. This is the way in which you've entered the real world. It's using attention through your own intention or will to break away from habitual patterns. Our attention attention is usually trapped in the forebrain, but the miracle is that it's a mobile power. Your attention is a mobile center of consciousness that can move anywhere in your body, anywhere in the world, really. Anywhere in the spirit, anywhere in many worlds. Let's start in the body. Let's start in the inner laboratory. Let's start in the microcosm that contains the signatures of the whole universe. We could spend forever here working and still accomplish universal things just by working in our own bodies. So move the attention to the farthest part, let's say, from the brain, the right foot. Move your attention to the right foot feel the right foot let it be appreciate it in all its complexity and structure connect with it in the memories you've had with it feel feel the sole of your foot feel your toes this part of your body this appendix has identity Has a form put your attention there breathe into the foot breathe in and send it to the foot. This is using attention on the wings of attention to carry energy to the foot. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Send the energy to the foot. Oxygenate the foot. Put your purpose and attention there. Energize the foot. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe into the foot. Now move your attention to the genital area. Put your attention in your genitals. The genitals are one of the great places of transformation in the body. Much, much energy is stored here. Whether we express it in sexual reproduction, it's still a transformative energy. And it's One of the key energies in the body that the alchemist used. Focus your attention on your genitals, not sexually, but just try to feel the great energy that's stored there, this tingling, wonderful energy. Feel it. Flex your thighs. Tighten your anus. Use the muscles down there, and don't be afraid. No one's judging you. You can do anything in the inner laboratory. Feel that energy. It's a liquid, melting energy. And when it leaves our body, our attention is focused there during the sexual act. We can feel our minds drain of attention and focus and be replaced by attention and focus in this genital area. It is the petite mort, the French speak of, the little death comes during orgasm. The alchemists felt if they could take that energy that is expressed and held in the vessels of and organs of the genitals that they could use that energy for transformation in other words they could take that energy and use it within the body without dispersing it into the world it's a key thought in Taoist alchemy and it's a very powerful force of transformation the Kundalini at the root of the anus is another place to feel your attention to feel its expression this is a much more fundamental energy. It's not as liquid and melting as the genital energy. It's much more grounded, much more solid. This is where survivors are at. This is where concentration camp inmates lived their lives, at the level of ultimate survival, everyday and of survival. The genital area is an area of transformation, whether it is making a new baby or making a new philosophers child it's the same energy we work with that energy in meditation move your attention to your left arm feel your arm be in the upper arm in the muscles in the hand what does the arm mean what archetypal signature does it carry how is it different from the genital area how is it different from your foot how is it like your foot Move throughout your body and you will discover areas that are craving for attention. You will discover areas that are bound up from lack of attention. You will discover areas that you've created. That carry energy that you put there. And by ignoring it, you've sealed its fate. You've sealed it in the vessel. Times when we experience fright or embarrassment. They're all in our muscles. They're sealed there by us. By our attention at the moment, when it happens... To our lack of attention to the rest of our life through our assumptions about our body we create our body through our assumptions and habits we create the diseases we carry through our attention we can cure ourselves this is the inner laboratory this is where the work takes place and this is where it ends your body is the vessel of transformation it is the ethanol the furnace of transformation and the fire that we carry The metabolic flame within us is more than just a digestive tool. It is the source of our transformation and the source of energy. While we are in the inner laboratory, and if we spend enough time there, we begin to experience a certain stillness in the body, a certain presence. And this presence is the stone It is the untransformed, untransformable soul of our being. And we experience most clearly in deep stillness, free from emotions, free from thoughts, free from obligations, other than just be who we are and be where we're at. And by being in the body, existing in stillness, like deep water, like darkness, it's a way to purify us. The more time you spend in the stillness of your body, And the deeper you can go into that deep stillness the more purified you become in alchemy this is dissolution we let ourselves go entirely so we can purge ourselves from the depths of our being get free of the myriad of things all the thousands and millions of created things around us and come to this one point that is in the inner laboratory that is the secret of the inner laboratory that is the first matter uncreated the first matter, the common source of all things, the quintessence of every material object. We can move around in the inner laboratory. We can do the work here in the vessels and the organs, depending on what we want to create, what our intention is. Intention, attention, these are the tools we use in the inner laboratory. And stillness is the source of the stone that will become the conscious stone that will become the philosopher's stone that will become the stone that will change us from fools into magicians go into that stillness enter the stillness knowing it is always there always was there always will be there and try to feel the presence that is you the self with the capital s not the little s self not the ego not the person with plans not that object That you created when you were a teenager to survive in the world not that something before something when you were a child that gave you confidence in the world that gave you something always to fall back on that's the presence of the stone the stone will become more animated and more active the more time you spend here and if finally you can direct your attention to that stone in the stillness you can accomplish great things my friend great things indeed that is the focus of alchemical transformation. This part, this true, genuine part that is in you, that is in all men and women, all people. The silent part. You can experience by focusing your attention there. You can experience by letting the breath guide you. Take a breath, take a deep breath. Follow it down into your body. Exhale. Take a deep breath. Now start breathing very slowly. The deep breath. Hold it. Exhale. Inhale. Hold it. Exhale. Now be aware that in the silence between breaths, the stone also manifests. This hidden presence within you. You can feel it there. Don't try to use words, don't try to use feelings simply there it's simply you inhale pause hold that breath this is the real part it's not the yang of inhaling it's not the yin of exhaling it's the real part it's the balance in the silence between breaths is where we're at always hold the breath feel the presence as you practice this you'll be able to experience something quite remarkable it's called the primordial breath the deeper you are in a meditation the deeper you are in seeking your presence the more stillness will unfold and you will begin to cultivate the stillness in the inner laboratory the stillness between breaths and one day you will become lost there you will forget about breathing altogether and another deeper breathing will start up and embryonic breathing. Your lungs aren't moving, but you're breathing. Primordial breath of that source within you. And you'll be able to feel it. You'll be able to put your attention there and go back to the source of the source. How long can you stay in the stillness? How long can you stay in the presence of your true self, of the source of your being? How long can you face your soul and live in its energies, and feel its presence. How long can you be in the stillness? However long it is, each moment you become pure. Each moment another veneer is washed from your personality. Each moment your true self reveals itself. Each moment in the stillness you are purified. Washed clean of the world. This is the principle of being a hermit, a son of Hermes. This is where the work begins you have to withdraw to be born anew and you discover in the silence of withdrawal a powerful source that is the first matter of your soul a source of transformation what it's all about bring your soul to spirit transform your soul this infinite everlasting presence within you you will return to it you will be it again that's automatic that will happen If you transform that part of you now, in this lifetime, wonders will never cease. You will fall out of the cycle of rebirth. You will be reborn on a truer level. You will wake up in the world. This has happened only a few times to our species. It can happen to you. Another way to reach this source or first matter within, in the inner laboratory, it's just to exhaust ourselves to the point where we really don't care where our ego has given up where it's been defeated in the world where it's been crushed well, you are going to be crucified we are all going to be crucified because we put out a false part of us in the world and the natural alchemy of the universe destroys falseness to destroy our ego is not an easy thing and you have to realize that we're not destroying our identity as much as we are destroying the false part of it. You can do this simply by examining yourself, simply by using the fire of consciousness, thinking, analysis, to think about who you really are and what you really mean and how much your truth is in the universe. Alfred Lord Tennyson, the great mystic and poet, knew this technique, knew how to avoid uh, being crushed by the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune by the world in which we live. To avoid being crucified by using the fire of his own thoughts to examine himself and look at himself and reflect on himself. Know thyself, as Socrates said. It's a great principle of alchemy. It's a way of working with fire. The alchemist called calcination. And it's a way of examining ruthlessly, focusing thoughts, focusing the light of consciousness to the point where it becomes a blazing flame. I quote from Tennyson now. A kind of trance I frequently had, quite up for my boyhood, when I have been all alone. This has generally come upon me through repeating my own name to myself silently, until all at once, as it were out of the intensity of the consciousness of my individuality, the individuality itself seemed to dissolve and fade away into boundless being. And this is not a confused state, but the clearest of the clearest, the surest of the surest, the weirdest of the weirdest, utterly beyond words, where death was an almost laughable impossibility, loss of personality seeming no extinction but the only true life what Tennyson had discovered was the mantra of his own name by saying his name over and over again he exhausted it of its identity of its energy he saw himself for what he really was he got rid of the falseness of his own being simply by saying his name over and over again and you could do that too you can say whatever name you identify with, your first name a nickname, just sit down in silence, enter the inner laboratory, and start saying your name over and over again. Let it be the only thought in your mind. That's the important part. Let it be the only thought. Focus your attention on yourself. This is one of those miraculous self-reflexive moments where in physics or in math or in psychology, we expose whole new levels of being that we never knew existed. Look into yourself, say your name over and over and over again. You can stop the tape and do this. Do it as long as you possibly can. And each time when you say it, don't let it just be an automatic repetition of your name. Let it be an examination of who you are. Who is this name? What images come to mind when you say this name? What do other people think of this name? What is his name in the world? What is his name at all? If we don't deliberately try to find out who we are, who we really are, and what what we are in the world, what our relationship is, what the truth of our existence is, um, the universe is going to do it for us. It's going to come up behind us when we least expect it, and reduce us. This reduction of our being is part of a process, a deliberate process, an alchemy called dissolution, in which we try to melt away the heated elements of our being. So it's working with water. It's working with feelings. It's working with the fluid components that kind of slosh away our identity and all the little structures and protections and assumptions we build up. Dissolution is realizing a universal principle of change, that things fade away, that things devolve, that things return, that things decay. Oftentimes, great spiritual insights come in periods of illness or in periods of depression. And it's really only our Western culture, thanks to the Middle East Church, was taught us to go always towards the light, stay away from the dark, be afraid of the dark. The darkness in the inner laboratory are places where consciousness is not present, The unconscious forces the subconscious the places where the light is lacking and sometimes these are scary places sometimes they're the sources of our nightmares and uh, images and mythological formations that seem so much greater than us but one of these symptoms one of the key marks of dissolution is being overwhelmed we feel overwhelmed we feel that the world doesn't matter In the western world these periods of darkness, despair, sorrow, depression are considered diseases almost. We're not allowed that. It dates back to the medieval church who taught that we should only strive towards the light. We should reject the darkness. But by so doing we have given the darkness energy to come back at us. We have empowered the darkness. And we can only through accepting the darkness within us, the parts we have that are unconscious, that we don't know where they come from, what's going on there, the parts without light only by accepting those parts, the shadow within us can we become whole, full beings. Rumi, the Sufi alchemist knew of this pattern of never-ending dissolution change in the universe and the true fact that our presence, our ego presence Is nothing. I quote from him Copper, when an alchemist works, it loses its copper qualities. Seeds in spring begin to be trees, no longer seeds. Wood put in the fire changes. The snow world melts. You step in my footprint, and it's gone. If you become identified with these transitory things in the world and in yourself, then you will suffer sorrow. Because it's not in accord with the universal principles of truth and genuineness. Falsity attracts disaster. In our world, sorrow, depression, darkness, are not acceptable things. But the alchemists knew how to work with the darkness, work with the powers of darkness within and without. Typically, today, We treat the symptoms and not the cause. We run from the truth of the universe and only treat appearances. People who are depressed are given Prozac and it makes them happy. That's not the alchemical way just to work on superficial things. It's not the alchemical way to treat disease by giving pills to treat the symptoms only and not the cause. We think By changing appearances by changing surface things that we're changing the deeper reality and that's not true we're only asking for deeper misery for deeper confusion for deeper falsity so sorrow and depression to the alchemists were reducers brought us to ourselves showed us the truth of the situation being depressed don't have time or energy to make up pretenses anymore or if we begin to see the world and ourselves as they really are we no longer care about being part of the world about consuming things and really we're coming closer to the source the infinite everlasting source by being in this state not farther away from it there's an alchemical phrase that goes the moon settled does not eat. In other words, in our darkness, we no longer care about the world, about being part of it. Rumi also knew this. He said, feel joy in the heart at the coming of sorrow. Why joy at sorrow? Because it makes us real. It's a purpose, it's a force, and we cannot ignore it or make things prettier or better and think it will go away if we work on the surface we have to realize there's a chemical change in the universe that as above so below our thoughts and feelings are the thoughts and feelings of the whole universe we cannot escape this we have to be real so the next time you're depressed don't pop a pill don't hide don't think it's wrong don't think you're sick try to work with it There are times, and you'll see this throughout alchemy and alchemical treatments, where there are chemical causes for things in the brain. There are physical manifestations in the body. The question is, what came first? The spiritual reality or the physical reality? Truly, I believe that the only way to treat illnesses of this type are to go to the source, to go to the cause. And it's very clear hermetically, where the source and cause is it's always above it's always in the spiritual in us in our bodies It means it's in our own thoughts perceptions assumptions Our own attitude is manifested in our bodies in our organs I'm not surprised to see brain chemistry upset in depression Or to see cancer in the body or to see heart attack? The source is above So the next time you feel depressed Take advantage of it. Use it to see the world as it really is, without pretenses. Feel good at the lack of energy to uphold all the falsity in your life. It takes a lot of energy to support the ego world, to keep creating the falsity and the illusions of the world. The next time you're depressed, settle into it. Feel it. See how your attitudes change about yourself and the world around you. And try to pick out from that discomfort something true. Something that has been reduced, freed of all its frills and illusions. Depression is such a wonderful attitude, such a revealer. We don't appreciate it like the Alchemists did. We think it's a bad thing. We think it's something to be ashamed of. If it weren't for the balance of depression and the balance of darkness there would be no light there would be no place to draw the border between what is light and what is dark the alchemists looked at the darkness as part of the light make no mistake about it they felt that the umbra or the shadow of the earth is the darkness in other words the light shining into the matter produced the darkness the darkness is as much a part of the light as the light itself you can visualize it as the ouroboros or the snake eating its own tail this is the mechanism or the engine that drives reality. Sometimes it was pictured as a winged serpent above and a wingless serpent below, each eating each other's tails, each consuming each other. Most of the time it was a single serpent eating its own tail, going one part dark and one part light in a circle, continuously changing one into another, the darkness changing into light, the light changing into darkness. Once you get out of the cycle, accepting the entire serpent, if you will, By accepting the entire process, you reach a new point outside this seemingly endless and fruitless changing. You reach a point of balance that's outside and within the circle. It is the one point within the circle that is the alchemical symbol for gold, the golden consciousness of balance, perception, and acceptance. You could call it love, universal love. And the little bit of love that we feel in our lives, a little bit of drive that comes from us, being in love and falling in love, that existence, that state of mind is golden. We cannot even begin to approach this level of perfect love were it not for the wake-up call that the being in the darkness gives to us. Depression is indeed a call from the source within us telling us to get real become genuine if calcination works with light through thoughts then dissolution works through darkness with feelings and things that can't be expressed in the light of day the depression or negative uh, feelings that we experience during dissolution is really a wake-up call from the source within telling us to get real calcination working with light and thoughts and dissolution working with the darkness within and feelings and unconscious forces These two processes make up so much a part of our lives that most of us never get beyond this point. Most of us feel we're just on an ocean thrown about by the forces of nature, whereas the alchemist would take the next important step, would have the will and intention to take a stand and look and know himself, to look within and without, and to see what's going on, what forces are present. By trying to understand dissolution and calcination, these two grand processes, The alchemist picks out the essences of soul and spirit. Soul and spirit are often confused for the same thing, whereas in fact that is a symptom of our lack of progress alchemically. The alchemical process of separation is when we first begin to recognize that soul and spirit are the essences within us. We recognize them as separate entities, separate forces, that have a relationship that we can govern by our own attitudes. Separation is a period of intellect and will, of being objective and looking into our experiences, looking into the transformations of calcination and dissolution and seeing what's real there, what can be used and what can be held on to to further the rest of the process. Hermes in the Corpus Hermeticum told us what to do at this stage. Stop and become sober. Perceive with the eyes of your heart again. And if all of you cannot do this, then at least let those who are able to do so. For the wickedness of ignorance floods the world, destroys the soul which is locked in the body, and prevents it from completing its journey and docking into the port of the stars. During separation, we realize that the soul is tied to matter, that the soul is our identity, our eternal and forever strong part that is within us. It is that part which, which we will identify with, which which we will become at the end of our physical being. That part, that spark, that tiny spark hidden in matter, is what alchemy is all about. Bringing that spark out and, and making it real is the duty of spirit. For the alchemist, duty ascends from above in the form of spirit. And presence ascends from below in the form of soul. Soul and spirit work together, and that is true throughout the universe for soul and spirit of the king and queen of alchemy. The queen soul is the feminine presence, the passive presence, the negative ions, the negative particles, whereas the king is the masculine presence and the positive particles, the, the active element in creation. When all is one, which is the cry of the Ouroboros, these two are one, and it is the duty of every living and sentient creature to make these two one again, though they have been divided by falsity, contamination, impurities. Once they are pure and reunited, they become fused into the stone, into the conscious living stone of the alchemist. Salvita corpora et coeglata spiritus. This was the secret formula of the alchemist. Salvita et coegla. Dissolve the body and coagulate the spirit. Dissolve the soul, let it become something new with new identity, and coagulate the spirit, the higher identity from above. Let them become one in a new third identity. And the whole process of separation is to bring this about by identifying and purifying these two opposing essences within. We have to pull them apart to generate the energy and love that will bring them together. That is the purpose of the sifting meditations that the alchemist used. And you can begin one now by just resting, going into the inner laboratory, and opening up to the presence of soul and spirit within. Think about what represents soul in your life, what represents spirit, what is the active forces in your world, in your being, in your personality, and what are the passive forces that have to be dragged along yet can carry the essence of your being. Begin this Sifting meditation now and sift through your experiences and thoughts and emotions and identify which belong to spirit, which belong to soul. If you were successful at the sifting meditation, you begin to identify those essences of soul and spirit within. However, this process is not merely discipline and objectivity. You have to be determined, actuated, fighting for what you love, because these are the essences of the forces of love within you. That is where most people go wrong in working with separation. They think it's a strictly intellectual process of dividing things into categories. And it's not that as much as it is resonating with the essences within and knowing how to relate to them directly and individually. Other sifting techniques involve trying to break through the illusions that we've created for ourselves, uh, to cut through the illusory cosmic plate that uh, the Hindus call maya. And in shamanic tradition, the same tools are used, like cutting through worldly illusion and seeing the true reality is known as seen, while the process of trying to catch the ego in its habits and manipulations is part of stalking. All these techniques are taught one-on-one to um, shamanic initiates. But there's not much difference between these traditions and the traditions used in, in medieval Europe. Another shamanic technique uh, that does have application in Europe and is part of um, the alchemical tradition is known as second attention. It's trying to break through our habitual perception of reality into what is really there. It's the same experience we had when we relaxed the eyes or softened the eyes and look out into the world and erase that interface that phony interface between us and the world, that fake part that we're projecting into the world, to truly see what is there. The way in which we pay attention to the world in everyday life is known as the first attention to the shamans. And most people know the single way of ordering the world as their normal vision of reality. If we look at someone with our first attention, we see a person's body and their physical attributes and usually make some kind of snap judgment based on that information. However, if we defer judgment and use the second attention, slow down and wait for the second attention to be able to take effect, we can sense things about their character or even state of health. Sometimes we can even see into the luminous egg of their being, which proceeds and engulfs the person's physical presence, according to the shamanic alchemist. Shamans spend many years developing the second attention, though they usually begin by simply focusing on things that normally go unnoticed. Uh, they expand their awareness to things they normally would not care about within their attention span. Concentrating on shadows instead of objects, focusing on a person's body movements rather than what he or she says, or simply doing something routine in a different way, like suddenly starting to walk backwards. These are all first steps in this process. By entering a state of not doing or not participating in the world and halting the internal dialogue that supports the first or normal attention, the shaman heightens his intuitive awareness and eventually develops true second attention. The Western alchemist, uh, European alchemist, used techniques such as softening the eyes. Also, there's no doubt that they used some type of chemicals. They were chemists after all. Normally, they did not write about their their chemical use and not not describe it um, in writing. Uh, It was something they shared as an experiential and private flight, if you will, but the Shamanic tradition is full of these natural allies uh, to our perception. And separation is all about perceiving reality as it really is, not as we want it to be, not as others project upon us, not as books said it should be, or pictures, or postcards, or television. It's how it really is and how we can relate to it as it really is. Separation is about separating us from illusion and recognizing essences, recognizing the signatures, the true signatures of every living thing, of every object, the true archetypal source of its being, that source we were talking about that we experience within ourselves, is the universal source, too, on the higher level, in the above, the origin of all things. And if we can sense that in an object or a person, we know, we know the dangers involved of being in a relationship with it, or we know what to expect from it, we know, that we know its true signature, we know what it's going to become and how it's going to evolve, how it can help or hinder our own transformations. The operations of separation and conjunction actually work together much as calcination and dissolution work to purify the the matter at hand or the subject at hand. Separation and conjunction serve to bring it back together on a higher level. Separation is isolating the components or pulling them apart to generate the energy of attraction between them, only the purest essences. And conjunction is bringing these purest essences back together in a fusion so that they might create something entirely new and lasting on a higher level than what was previously there. So separation and conjunction are two peas in a pod. that are similar operations working with the energy of essences. One good way to experience conjunction is to work with the powers of light and dark however you do it in your own being whether you feel that you're an intuitive person or an intellectual person, you need to work with the opposite of that, to pay attention to the opposite of that, to try to develop more of that. If you're a left brain, very logical, rational, hands-on type of person who likes things in steps, clear steps and well-defined, then you need to develop your feminine side, your intuitive side, the side that goes by leaps and bounds and takes the whole gestalt or picture and works with that works with things that are hard to explain, like feelings and energies. This is solar consciousness, consciousness of rational behavior, trying to build things uh, of our own science and technology, and lunar consciousness, which is the consciousness of people in mystical states and religious um, states. Psychologically, it's the person who settles back and waits for impressions to come. Whereas the solar person is one who leaps forward, following thought. Most of us need to develop the feminine side of our consciousness. And of course this has nothing to do with what our body is, a man or woman. It's what our consciousness is. We have to accept the fact that we can be in a man's body with a feminine consciousness predominating, or a woman's body with a man's consciousness predominating. The idea is how our consciousness works and with what tools it works One good meditation for bringing these together is to associate them, not with ourselves as much, with some outside forces, for instance, the sun. Wake up and greet the sun. Close your eyes and find the sun through your eyelids. Don't look directly into the sunlight, but open your eyes very slightly and observe it through your eyelashes. And you can see the solar disk, the fabled metallic-looking, flat, golden disk of the sun that Akhenaten made a religion of. And then reorientate yourself, directly facing your sun, and close your eyes and meditate. When the visual field that you see behind your eyes, islands, slowly turns from red to white, begin to eat the light. Eat the light as if it was something edible, something that would give you energy. This is the ancient Egyptian teachings from Akhenaten. This is how they worshipped the solar disk. They got energy from it. They had mental, spiritual, and bodily energy from the sun, and they worked with it in their bodies as as pure light as pure solar consciousness if you work with this for some time if you feast on the sun in this way it blows everything else away in your consciousness because of its brightness and purity and it's a it's a quick way to gain purification of consciousness using solar principles the other way is years and years of reading and and for akhenaten and the egyptians there was not much difference between the intellectual light in the solar light, between the wisdom acquired from the sun and the wisdom acquired from books, and you apply that wisdom to your own body and shine the light therein. The moon, on the other hand, if you greet the moon, if you work with the moon, much more complicated than working with the sun, because the moon is not predictable, it's goes through its phases, it changes in the skies, it's not reliable, it's in the darkness. Yet the moon just as the alchemist believed, is the reflected light of the sun. The darkness is the light. And you can work with the moon in this way, in the same type of meditation. Greet the full moon and follow through all its changes and feel what's going on in the sky as you go through the waxing and waning phases of the moon, as it goes into the new moon. And through the cycle of becoming, you will feel within your own body, depending on your visualizations and how clearly you You focus on your desires. You feed the moon. You feed the moon what you've gathered from the sun. And it can transform you. By feeding the moon, as Guruji said, we are all food for the moon. Our souls go to the moon after we die, he believed. And it's a beautiful allegory of this alchemical process of feeding the moon and eating the sun. Eating the sun is entering the spiritual realm. Feeding the moon is entering the material realm and making things manifested and if you do that work with the solar and lunar energies you can create changes in your body changes in your environment changes in the whole planet there are no longer druids or egyptians or any other groups who worship the sun in this way as they did thousands and thousands of years ago only recently has interest been revived in this and it's a healing process not only for us but also for the planet and it involves separation of these masculine and feminine energies, to get to the essences of them, wherever we find them, above or below, and to know them. There is an ancient uh, Egyptian text called The Destruction of Humankind, which is really about how to avert the destruction of humankind. It says, Whenever Toth speaks to you, and you wish to recite a composition on behalf of the sun, then you must perform a sevenfold purification for three sunrises. Whether a person or a group shall so proceed, you shall make your position in a circle, which is made beyond you, and your eyes shall be fixed within the circle. All your actions shall be composed and motionless, and your steps shall not carry you away from the circle. If you shall attentively dwell within the circle and observe with the eyes of your heart, you will find the path that leads above. Even so shall the image become your guide. For the divine sight has this peculiar charm, it holds fast and draws into it those who succeed in opening their eyes in this way. Now whosoever shall vocalize the sacred words shall visualize themselves as Toth or Ra in the redness of the dawn of his birth. Thus shall a thought exclusively occupying your mind be transformed into the actual state, and from this lesson your house shall never fall into decay, but will endure throughout eternity let's just look at a few words in this the house of course on the higher level is our planet the house on below is our bodies and the image is projected from our minds and the circle when we take a position in the circle which is the symbol of sanctity and protection we take it as a group or nation or planet and also the inner circle which is the inner laboratory and you shall fix your eyes within the circle and all your actions shall be composed and motionless and your steps shall not carry you away from that circle. You will not leave the inner laboratory until the work is done. During conjunction, we've tried to create something real and lasting by bringing together and working with both the lunar and solar powers, the masculine and feminine powers and creating something that is called the child. This child, psychologically, as Jung very well documented, is an integrated personality within that circle of being. We exhibit m- more confidence, more insight, more wisdom. We become onto ourselves who we really are after getting rid of all the falsity, after separating and purifying the parts that we are made up of and bringing them back together in a new constellation. We become something new. We gain tremendous confidence in the world because we're genuine. And you recognize that. And this point of conjunction is really where psychology ends and transcendental psychology begins. For the next steps, take us into the above, truly into the above. And how do you get into the above? How do you get into heaven? You have to die to get there. You have to die of yourself. And the next phase, the next operation in alchemy is called fermentation, but it consists of two parts. Just like natural fermentation, the Uh, grapes or whatever we're trying to ferment must be crushed and destroyed they must rot and decay and they must literally die to be reborn so that the spirit comes out in in the case of grapes we crush the grapes we let them um, decompose rot and they change into the spirit of the grape the wine the alcohol is released and that's this whole process of fermentation it's releasing the inner spiritual energies or signatures of any anything whether it be our own souls we're working on, or grapes, or anything like that. It begins in the inner lab, and it's not, putrefaction uh, is not something to be afraid of. Uh, it's a blackness beyond the blackness and darkness of dissolution. And yet, um, it's, a, it's a very refreshing experience, that's all I can say about it. it uh, to die and be reborn, psychologically is about as much refreshment as you'll ever experience in a lifetime. Futurifying meditations seek out this loss of identity. And in the psychedelic experience, in the shamanic ally experience of moving through fermentation, you have that first phase where you feel like something terrible is coming for you, and it turns out to be a death. You usually pass out before you enter into this higher phase, for five or ten minutes at least. And then you're reborn on this higher level where things are flashing at you, and and new horizons are coming at you from all angles and new experiences and and there are a few people know how to handle this unless they've been initiated so putrefying meditations is exactly that it can be that type of bodily experience perhaps the simplest putrefying meditation is is uh, the nothing meditation simply become nothing lose your identity give it up you don't have to die but give up your personality why be inflexible why why? Think that your personality is something special when there are people with hundreds and 200 personalities schizophrenic people exhibit many many personalities one is genuine as the next the outsiders the personality is a temporary thing a temporary accoutrement of this lifetime you can change it it's no it's no threat to you to give up your identity temporarily and to assume a new one children do this all the time when they play which is why children are free and have free consciousness and are open to experience. Unfortunately, nothing can be said about the nothing meditation. Um, there's no mantra, there's no instructions, which would become thoughts. Tibetan alchemists believe that if you can keep from having thoughts for three hours, and this is a highly symbolic number in Alchemy 3, you can gain lasting enlightenment. So the longer you go without disturbing the meditative pool with thoughts, the purer your consciousness becomes And the more you approach the nothingness that is everything. Even the first matter and the energy of the first matter lies in this nothingness. It lies in the dark matter that the uh, uh, quantum mechanics uh, and other physical disciplines speak of. It's accounting for the universe. And we're only just now discovering it. And we're only just now discovering that it also exists in us. We are a true microcosm of the universe that actually seems to keep up with our scientific discoveries in a way that's amazing and in a way that shows how consciousness above and below is synchronized so if you can possibly work on yourself to become nothing and this is not going to happen during this tape of course but it's because people are so individualistic and because you cannot give instructions for this type of meditation all i can tell you is become nothing become nothing and the more you become nothing the more refreshed the more energy and the more insight you will generate. So it's worth some time to think about this. And don't become nothing while you're driving a car, you know. Don't be foolish. Become nothing. That's putrefaction. Fermentation, on the other hand, genuine fermentation, the second part of this process, is becoming something. It's being in something. It's being in something way beyond anything that we've experienced on a normal level. We've broken through to the other side. During natural fermentation, when the rotting matter, uh, the grapes turns such a pitch black color, it seems like all life has been expired within it. There's no chance for anything living coming anymore from that mass of blackness. And yet, there appears on the black matter a subtle oil. It's, it's like a, an iridescent sheen to it that projects a rainbow of colors. And it's just a small area, perhaps, the size of a quarter at the beginning, and then it grows and finally covers the whole surface. And it is, in fact a very light iridescent oil being oozed out of the fermented matter. This had great significance to the alchemists because it paralleled their own experiences in the meditation in the inner laboratory too. They felt that this rainbow oily color was hearkened that the other side was breaking through. Sometimes there was even a pure white layer of digesting bacteria that that appeared along with this oily substance. And that was like the white light of the other side breaking through this utter blackness. So the rainbow signature here became extremely significant. And it was known as the parta cavanus or the peacock's tail. The symbol of a plain bird would suddenly spread its tail and became this wonderful, alive with eyes peering at you through these rainbow of colors, of feathers. And that was a symbol of this stage. And they looked for the peacock's tail to spread eagerly in the outer laboratory and in the inner laboratory too it was the light from above that was shining through and it's really always close at hand Uh, we may not think that the light from above is there but it manifests in our true imagination and by true imagination of course i'm not talking about fantasy uh, or making up daydreams or anything like that true imagination is imaginary images that are connected to true things that's what the alchemists waited for this light, it speaks to us through our soul and silent images all the time. It's not something that we can conjure up because fermentation is a life force from above coming down, so it always involves grace. But perhaps in our relaxed state now, we can experience it for a moment. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. And don't think of anything, but follow my words. I'm not saying anything. I look for images. You closed your eyes. What was there? What type of light pattern? What type of image picture? If there's no picture, what type of feeling? What type of light is coming through? What type of vibration are you feeling with your eyes closed? Is there something there? If you do have an image or a feeling, or a vibration, even a sound, let it move. Let it grow. Let it change. And see where it takes you. It's right there in front of your eyes. Your eyes are closed. There's an image of meaning for you. Since we've been doing this work on the tape, it will have meaning for you because you reached into the inner laboratory. And think about what that image is, or that feeling, or that vibration. Is it a clean image? Is it murky? Does it have definition? Or must you search further before it has definition? What type of sound are you hearing? Is it words? Is it hums? Is it something that needs more definition? There's a message for you in the fermenting light. And the fermenting light is right there, what you're seeing now. And if it's just patterns of energy, look for the colors. Look for every detail you can about this image. Now open your eyes and reflect on this image and what it means and what it's meant in the past and what it could mean in the future. Just what type of symbols does it carry. You can do this anytime. Anytime you're involved in something where you're focused and concentrated, Anytime where you want an answer to something desperately, close your eyes and look at the first image that pops into your eyes. The first thing that's there will be the truest, the very first. And then, if you can, let it change, let it move, let it fully express its message. Because you're contacting the signature of what you want, what you're focusing on. By focusing your attention, you're getting a response from the universe. And most of us ignore it all the time. By focusing on a question... A wonderful source of organization is a question. You get a response. You've organized energy, you've set up the attitude, and you will have a response. Anytime, anytime you need an answer, close your eyes and look at that first image and try to see what is there. And you can train this faculty. You can train it with using energy in the inner laboratory. And that's exactly what the alchemists did. Their true imagination was something extremely precise and definite. Something that modern man has little idea that it even exists. And the true imagination on the mental realm is the first matter. It's coming closer to our operation, to our source, to our control. So you want to look for the fermenting light and rejoice when you see it, just as the alchemists rejoiced when they saw the peacock's tail. If you're having problems with this technique, observe a candle flame for a minute or so. Look right into the flame, and then close your eyes and observe the afterimage from the flame. Watch it in your mind's eye. Pulse and ebb change colors. Until no image is perceptible, perhaps only a color remains. Or the image of the candle flame fades away. And pay attention to anything that remains when the candle flame image fades away. Eventually that image will contain more and more meaning the more and more you do it. And then simply rely on your own light, on your own inner light in the inner laboratory in the same way. Some people do not experience light in this way uh, as images in the mind, and if you are one of those who don't have this type of visionary experience, images, you don't have dreams, you can also work with sound in the same way. As you are listening to someone speak, for instance, right now to me, stop for a moment and listen to the listener. Listen to the listener. As you hear my voice, don't listen to it. Listen to the listener. Listen to yourself and what's there. The silence you hear before you fill it with your own thoughts is the source that we've talked about previously. And that source is where the images come from. It is the true stone within you the source of your transformation. And it knows all things because it is connected to both above and below. And that source could answer with sounds. You may hear yourself listening to yourself with great meaning. It is thought that that silence, when you listen to the listener, is what ancient peoples had as the word of God, where they heard the word of God and what guided them. when we created, uh, when we went from a single modular mind to a bicameral mind, that voice, we lost. We lost that ability. But you can bring it back just by listening to the listener. And you don't just listen. You try to attach yourself to it and go where that silence leads you. And hopefully, if you're pure enough and concentrated enough and have intention and attention, it will lead you to the source. You're probably saying to yourself, uh, do I really want to hear voices in my head? And that's a good question, actually. Uh, Fermenting meditations and fermenting operations with drugs and and all the fermenting experiences tend to be overwhelming sometimes and uh, can push us to the edge of sanity. If we lose our balance and if we're not pure and if there's still contaminating images or contaminating energies within us, that's why it's so extremely important to be without ego during fermentation. Any trace of ego that survives through that black phase, that dark of dark phases, that phase of death, any bit of ego can destroy and turn the whole fermentation experience against you. And the alchemists knew that. And they experienced it. And they knew that the only way to work with the energies, the tremendous energies in connection with the above, that was released during fermentation, was through the process of distillation. If fermentation is a subjective religious-type experience, then distillation is an object of scientific-type experience. Fermentation includes all types of mystical and paranormal encounters and, and revelations from the above. The 13th century Franciscan nun, Angelo of Filigno, described one such experience. The eyes of my soul were opened, and I beheld the plenitude of God, whereby I did comprehend the whole world, both here and beyond. And the abyss and all things else and therein i beheld not save the divine power in a manner assuredly indescribable so that through the excess of marveling the soul cried out with a loud voice saying this world is full of god that type of experience overwhelms us we need to find balance we need to work with that energy not just experience it passively and go into ourselves even deeper so there's a danger here Unless the fermentation experience is distilled, distillation in itself is a higher, higher process in alchemy. It's almost the process of the whole universe. It's almost the process of the Ouroboros, the engine that drives the whole universe. Distillation, as you know from common distillation, something is boiled and a vapor rises and then it condenses in a chamber or in a head and falls back down into the original boiling solution and it produces steam, and it goes up and condenses and drips back down into the container. And the longer that goes on, the more pure and concentrated becomes the original boiling solution. This is distillation. You can take anything that is contaminated, and through distillation, purify it hundredfold, a millionfold, a thousandfold, however many times you distill it. Distillation is an extremely important process in alchemy, and it is the process that creates the stone raises the stone within us from that source and makes it something real and alive and tangible even. Taoist uh, alchemists considered distillation to be the process of alchemy. In one exercise called the circulation of light, they were able to create effects in the body that have marveled uh, alchemists and others from around the world. Taoist alchemists became proficient at exercises and longevity and purification of the bodily organs and things like that and key to this process was the circulation of the light The light we're talking about is of course the fermenting light the light within and the circulation of mind and light in this process is mirrored below and above in the whole universe we are being distilled consciousness is being distilled in the universe and in our inner laboratory it becomes a light process going on to distill our personal consciousness in a like manner chinese alchemists became proficient at this type of distillation many thousands of years ago the aspirant was taught to concentrate on the light of the inmost region and whilst doing so to free himself or herself from all outer and inner entanglements the first phase is focusing attention the same attention that we've moved through our body in the inner laboratory all through this tape to the light the source of the light the light of the inmost region wherever it is found. And in individuals it is found in different places, wherever it is accumulated within you. And it can always be found in the head, in the crown. And it must be dispersed and distilled. The first matter is like a light energy scattered throughout the body, in our soul. And the object is to bring it all together in a cauldron or a vessel in the abdominal cavity just below the navel. I'm going to take you through this using the Taoist terms, the actual terms they used. In the Western alchemy, uh, similar identical terms were used for the inner vessels. Usually they were considered to be athenors or furnaces. In the Kabbalistic system, they correspond to the tree of life being superimposed uh, over the human form. In the first stage of the distillation of light, uh, light is gathered by quieting the body and mind through breath, breath control and through entering the inner laboratory and working with awareness and attention and intention in meditation. And we are trying to work with the essences of soul and spirit. And the Chinese considered Qi to be the essence of spirit. Qi energy is accumulated in the breath and brought in from the universal, through the lungs, and then inhaled downward into the cauldron below the navel. In the second phase of the circulation of light, Chung, which is... The soulful energy, or the essence of soul or heiress or life energy, sexual energy, it is directed upwards from the gonads, from the genitals, into this cauldron below the navel. So we have, from above, the, the key energy coming in with the breath, being breathed down into the cauldron, and the chung energy, or the soul energy, being directed upwards. From the gonads and sexual organs like a heat into the cauldron here in the cauldron the chung energy the soul energy is mixed with ki the spirit energy or breath energy or yang energy and they're mixed together in this sacred spot there are many ways of doing this uh, with concentration fixed at the level of that cavity of that abdominal cavity Abdominal cauldron, abdominal vessel, the practitioner wills and feels the light circulate as if it's boiling, as if it's heating. So we breathe in, and the key energy or the energy of breath is directed into the cauldron from above. And we breathe out, and the energy of chung, the sexual energy, is drawn up from the genitals. And released into the cauldron from below as if it's heating it breathe in the key energy of the energy of universal spirit in the air direct it down into the cauldron inhale softly direct it into the cauldron below the navel exhale melt the energy of jung into the cauldron from below feel that melting energy just go right into the cauldron, right into the middle of this visualized cauldron below the navel. As you exhale, feel that melting of sexual energy, which is its signature. Feel the sexual energy move. Feel the chung move. Feel the chi descend into the cauldron. Breathe in. Bring the chi in. Exhale. Move the chung up mix these two primary forces primordial forces the forces of your own soul and spirit in this cauldron this visualized image which is now real in your inner laboratory this mixing of energy causes a light just as if in the burning of anything um, light is emitted from this precious cauldron what we're going to do is with our attention and intention we're going to will and feel the light circulate up the channel of function through the chest cavity to the precious cauldron at the center of the brain in a process of circulating distillation. There the light energy is transmuted into still another type of spiritual energy called Shen, which is pure spiritual energy. And then any uncon- unconverted energy returns to the navel area via the channel of control that runs down the back. So, The channel of control is the return channel. The channel of function is up the chest. And we're pushing this energy, directing it up from the cauldron where it's mixing the sexual energy, the breath energy, spirit and soul, mixing, coming together. It's a very sexual act, below the navel, taking place. And the light that is generated, we direct up the channel of function of the chest, up through the chest, through the middle of the mid-region of the heart, up into the brain. in the brain, we visualize yet a smaller vessel, another cauldron, a precious cauldron at the center of the brain. And there we deposit a purified light, and any that remains is pure, and any that is impure overflows and flows back down the channel of control that runs down the back. The adept or initiate repeats the circulation of light daily for months or even years until enough of the light actually collects and crystallizes in the cauldron within the brain. According to the Chinese alchemist, the subtle matter distilled through this process congeals into a golden pill or golden flower, which is the adept's passage to perfect health and immortality. That golden pill is the philosopher's stone of the Western alchemist that takes place in the final operation of alchemy, the coagulation, in which the pill or the stone forms through repeated experiences in life, naturally, or many lifetimes, or through deliberate distillation of the light, as one example of a method of making something spiritual into something corporeal, something real, into making the spirit real and dissolving the body in order to do it. We're raising the level of matter, and we start with our own bodies in our own inner laboratories. And we circulate the light within our bodies, much as it circulates in the whole universe. And the whole universe, the whole light of everyone in creation is part of this process. And we are all one light. We are all one. And yet, individually, in our inner laboratory, in the microcosm, it is our duty and obligation and joy to repeat this process, to purify ourselves within, to create the distillation that will create the stone, that will coagulate our being and make our souls raised and make our spirit descend, to make spirit and soul change places and become one, soul above and spirit below, spirit above and soul below. And from that process of distillation, from that experience of light and darkness, sun and moon, solar and lunar energies, we become one with the universe and may we become one with God. In the Corpus of Medicum, Hermes speaks directly to us. If then you do not make yourself equal to God, you cannot apprehend God. For like is known by like. Leap clear of all that is corporeal, and make yourself grown to a like expanse with that greatness which is beyond all measure. Rise above all time and become eternal. Then you will apprehend God. Think that for you too nothing is impossible. Deem that you too are immortal, and that you are able to grasp all things in your thought, to know every craft, In science find your home in the haunts of every living creature and make yourself higher than all heights and lower than all depths bring together in yourself all opposites of quality heat and cold dryness and fluidity think that you are everywhere at once on land at sea in heaven think that you are not yet begotten that you are in the womb that you are young that you are old that you have died that you are in the world beyond the grave grasp in your thought all of this at once all times and all places all substances and qualities and magnitudes together, then you can apprehend God. But if you shut your soul up in your body and abase yourself and say, I know nothing, I can do nothing, I am afraid of earth and sea, I cannot mount to heaven, I know not what I was nor what I shall be, then what have you got to do with God?